welcome to the ACR Bulletin Podcast, the show where we examine the latest trends affecting radiology. I'm your host, Chris Hobson, and today we'll be talking with William T. Thorworth, Jr., MD at FACR, and Don Levante, JD. Dr. Thorworth serves as Chief Executive Officer of the American College of Radiology, a role he's held since 2014. Don Levante serves as Professor of Healthcare Management and Legal Studies in the College of Business, Innovation, Leadership, and Technology at Marymount University. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being here today. Pleasure. Thanks so much for having us, Chris. Thanks. Oh, absolutely. Well, today's topic is a bit of a departure for us on this show because typically we cover contemporary topics in radiology or even ones we think might affect the future of radiology. And not to say what we're going to talk about today has no bearing on the future, but um, today we're really here as part of the, the uh, ACR Centennial Celebration. Uh, which marks the 100-year anniversary of the college's founding in 1923. Um, so to mark such an occasion, it's, it's appropriate to look back, I think, at, at how far radiology in general and ACR in particular, in, in particular have come over the past 100 years. So in keeping with this idea, I thought we'd discuss the history of, of how the college hired its first lobbyist, whose name was J.T. Rutherford, uh, to ensure radiologist services would be covered under Medicare Part B. Uh, it's a seminal event in the history of the college uh, and the specialty, uh, So, and it plays out against the backdrop of the fight to institute Medicare back in the 1960s. So I thought it would be a great uh, subject uh, for us to delve into. So uh, to get us started today, Dr. Thorworth, uh, can you please provide some context as to where radiology stood uh, in the early to mid-1960s uh, on the eve of Congress uh, passing the historical legislation uh, that would come to be known as Medicare? And can you also explain why it was important to end the close relationship with hospitals that radiology had engaged up to, uh, up, uh, to in up until that point? Uh, thanks very much, Chris. Uh, yeah, it really is an amazing story. I mean, the college had long been involved in relationships between radiologists and hospitals and radiologists and insurance companies. Um, this was nothing new uh, to us, but uh, as I say, the governmental, uh, it basically, uh, I won't say incursion or invasion into uh, covering healthcare was a whole new sphere. So the radiologists uh, prior to Medicare uh, largely were hospital-based and largely uh, were paid based on a percentage of the hospital billings or collections. Um, and uh, those, so those negotiations between hospitals and, uh, and insurance companies or other maybe, maybe industry really were done with very little radiologist input. And the radiologists simply, from, for lack of a better phrase, kind of took their cut based on the services they provided. Uh, the the uh, few independent outpatient facilities that existed at the time uh, build patients themselves. Now, some of them used, believe it or not, the ACR had developed a relative value system back in 1957. Some of them used them, uh, that system, but many really just established their own fee schedules. But there was lots of anticipation as to the possibility of, the go of a government-run healthcare system. Uh, and as that seemed more likely, radiologists, uh, and particularly the American College of Radiology, because of our role in that uh, that had been established over decades, really got more and more involved. Uh, remember, I can remember this well because my father was a radiologist uh, at the time. I was in my mid-teens, and uh, it really was something to watch him go through the angst uh, as he and his partners, you know, tried to figure out how this whole system was going to change. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of background. Again, for, for some of our listeners who may not be familiar with Part A and Part B of Medicare, Part A of Medicare pays for hospital services, and Part B of uh, Medicare pays for physician services. So the 
goal of the college uh, was to make sure that radiologists were treated like all other physicians in Part B. Thank you for that context. I, I'm really grateful you've given that to us up front. That'll help uh, explain things going forward. Um, now, Mr. Levanti, um, or, or Don, if I may, sure. um, you were uh, actually, at the time, you were the, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you were the college's principal legislative consultant. Is that correct? Uh, right. Well, what happened is that I knew Mr. Rutherford when I was on Capitol Hill as a policeman, and, 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 and he got close to me because we have another association that transcends everything. We're both Marines. And oh, so okay. When he went out in private practice after he lost his seat, I still stayed connected to him. And, uh, and I didn't join him officially until 1971. But while I was with another trade association, which incidentally was the American Hospital Association, he and I used to have coffee every morning and try to figure out what we should do relative to all the issues that were hitting uh, medicine at the time. But for this particular point of view, what happened was, as I recall, Dr. Torworth, uh, the American Medical Association was spending so much time and capital to fight Medicare, which was then, you know, being come forward in. Radiology was really concerned about how it would fit in, whether they, they certainly didn't want to be employees of the hospital, and yet they wanted to maintain their independence as private physicians. And the bills that were being floated in the discussion with the Johnson administration pretty much indicated that Part A was going to consume radiologists, anesthesiologists, and pathologists. That infamously becomes known as the RAPS. And, and they then would become part of the hospital reimbursement under Part A. And I don't know the wherewithal in radiology leadership, but they somehow realized that this was not going to work for them, which I agree with 100%. And so they then in turn decided they needed to do something. And the American Medical Association told them at their annual meeting, look, we're so busy fighting all of Medicare, you guys are gonna to have to do something on your own. We just can't help you. And I think that precipitated the fact that the leadership decided to seek out someone. And to their credit, I would say that, the American Medical Association suggested J.T. Rutherford because Mr. Rutherford was a former member of Congress, most recently had been there, knew the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee very well. And if you think about it, he's from Texas. Lyndon Johnson was from Texas on the gosh, we lost the President Kennedy to an assassination and Johnson's now president. And, and Slick was known, and that, that's the term, it was his nickname was Slick, was known in the legislative circles in that regard. So the colleagues decided to retain him. And, and then we began to do our effort. I was having coffee with them. And again, as I said, I didn't join them until 71, but we locked and loaded and went forward. And we figured the first thing he wanted to do was to find a radiologist who knew Wilbur Mills. Wilbur Mills was the chairman of the Ways and Means Committees. Rutherford knew that the Finance Committee probably wasn't going to be friendly because they had a disposition. They wanted the hospitals to be in control of all the health care, which included the hospital-based physicians. But the house wasn't wedded to that point of view at that point. So he found a doctor in, in Searcy, Arkansas, as I recall, was Dr. Buchanan, Buck Buchanan, I think that was his nickname. And Mr. B Dr. Buchanan, uh, either by telephone or actual eye to eye, came to Washington and, and saw Mr. Mills and indicated, look, Mr. Chairman, we don't want to be part of the hospital. We want to be treated like doctors, like everybody else. 
And so Mr. Mills indicated that he would be willing to at least consider that, but you'd have to get the White House on board. And how do I deal with Russell Long? And that's where Mr. Rutherford really showed his prowess. He went across the aisle or across the Capitol to the Senate. And the person who really was in charge was Senator Clinton Anderson from New Mexico of what they were going to do on Medicare. And Russell Long would listen to him. And Mr. Anderson had a staff guy by the name of Jay Constantine. And he was a son of a gun to work with. And Mr. Constantine said, the radiologist should be paid just like everybody else who works for the hospital. They shouldn't be independent. And in days before Medicare, Clinton Anderson was very fond of Mr. Rutherford because Mr. Rutherford started all of the park service. And Mr. Anderson wanted something very desperately done in New Mexico. And so he and Mr. Anderson worked very well together, Senator Anderson. So when Rutherford went over to talk to him about what he had talked with Mr. Mills about in trying to get radiologists under Part B rather than Part A, Senator Anderson said to Mr. Constantine, look, I know you have a bent about making the hospitals pay for radiologists, but if Rutherford says it should be that way, you have to listen to this man. I was there when that happened. It was true. And Constantine, much to his regret, said, look, all right, Ms. Senator, I'll go along with it. But if they stay in the percentage arrangement and they begin to milk Part A, I'm going to tell you we're going to come after it with a vengeance. And they did in 1972, as Dr. Thorwitz will remember in the Talmud's legislation on the revenue sharing, where they said we want to outlaw this once and for all. But if I can continue, radiology to its credit and its leadership began because we made that promise to Jay Constantine and to the Senate Finance Committee, we want to be Part B doctors. We want to charge fee for service. We'll get out of the percentage arrangements. If this is the way Medicare wants us to practice, we'll do that. And they passed a resolution. I don't know which one it was, but I remember the colleagues in its leadership passed a resolution recommending that all radiologists get out of the percentage arrangement and be treated like other Part B doctors and charge fee for service. So that was the beginning of where, where this whole thing came from in, in terms of Medicare. And it was really quite, quite a battle. And to his credit, Mr. Rutherford really did a heck of a job. Yeah, you've opened a lot of avenues here to talk about. We'll, we'll <laughs> definitely come to some. You're anticipating some of my questions here, which is great. Um, and Dr. Thorward, just, just uh, you know, I also want to get your opinion, but if we could stay with Don just for a minute. Um, one thing you talked about in addition to the, you know, House and Senate kind of differing on some things and, and some of the leading lights in this. One thing else you mentioned was the AMA was opposed to this uh, pretty vehemently uh, early on. And, um, and I was wondering, you know, what was your take on, they call, I guess it was kind of known as national hospital insurance at the time. Why was Medicare so opposed uh, to this? Uh, and, and I guess, how did that opposition affect radiology directly at the time? Well, you know, I, I can put on my education hat now. I, right. I, am, I am a scientist of, of the healthcare system development. You know, medical doctors, God bless them, in and of themselves, when insurance first came into the healthcare system during the labor movement, went to all the state legislators and opposed health insurance being paid for as a condition of employment under labor management relationships. Why? Because they felt like for-profit insurance companies would be in control of doctor reimbursement. And what we, what did we see out of that? We saw that legislators allow a not-for-profit entity to provide insurance called Blue Cross and Blue Shield. Right. So from there, that said mindset was the same when we came into Medicare. Medical doctors said, here we go again. 
we're going to allow the government now to control all of our payment and our prices. And so realistically, that was a very frightening thing for all of the medical community. And well, it should have been because this was going to be an ominous thing. You're the most sickest part of your society, the elderly. Now we're going to treat major payments with relative to, you know, concern on, on the healthcare system. And medicine said government will control how much we got reimbursed. In radiology's view, while they recognize that, I think they still, their leadership anyway, committed to us. They wanted to be treated like every other doctor, not a part of a hospital community and not be owned by the hospital. They wanted to be independent and be a doctor like every other medical doctor in a Medicare Part B. And Dr. Thorworth, can you talk a little bit about that? That is like a fight for the soul of radiology, I feel like. And it sounds like your father, your own father, who was also a radiologist, was uh, kind of very privy to all that was going on. So what, I'd really be interested in your take as well. Like, how, yeah. how did that play out? Uh, it really was an uh, interesting time. And again, uh, although the uh, uh, ACR participated as a, as a consultant to many government agencies uh, in our areas of expertise, this was really the first time that the leadership uh, formalized a legislative advocacy effort and put college's resources behind it. Uh, you know, we were standing up as a profession and shouting, we're physicians just like the rest. Uh, J.T. Rutherford, as, a, as Don says, as a former congressman, uh, was our first hired insider whose sole purpose was to present the interests of the radiologists via the ACR in this critical sea change that was about to occur in medicine and medical reimbursement um, and, it, and how it would be practiced and reimbursed. So he knew he knew the people, as Don so uh, told us great stories about those interconnections. Uh, but most importantly, he knew the ropes so college leaders could be guided uh, on this uh, on how to best navigate the system to influence this decision that we knew would have great impact on radiology. And it wasn't that the ACR was trying to promote the adoption of Medicare. We were just trying to be sure because I think the the sense was that the winds were moving in that direction, and if it was to be implemented. We just wanted to be sure that radiologists were recognized as other physicians uh, within that uh, system. So yeah, we, and, but uh, yeah, I, I can still remember this. I was uh, 14 years old in uh, uh, 1965 when the uh, legislative le Medicare legislation was passed. And my father and his uh, partner, there was just two, two folks in his practice in a small suburban Philadelphia hospital, Chestnut Hill Hospital. Uh, I can still remember him sort of coming home and scratching his head because it had, it had been a comfortable existence for radiologists to have this billing arrangement with the hospitals. And though they didn't have, you know, absolute control, uh, at, at least it uh, did not um, require that they then assume administrative costs in their practice to independently bill, which they'd never really had to do. So it, it was a real, as I say, a title for particularly uh, not, not just uh, small private practices like his, but I think across the radiology community was going to be a totally different uh, sort of modus operandi for, uh, the, for those practices. Yeah, it's so interesting. I was reading in my research for this show. I was I uh, was looking back at a 1997 Morton lecture uh, to the ACR by Otha W. Linton, and I just really liked how he summed up. It's really, women have already said, but he almost posed it as a, as questions. He he said, and he was putting himself in the mindset of the doctors at that time, and and even the ACR, and saying like, if Medicare covered radiology in hospitals but not in offices, um, how long would it take for other insurers to follow along? So it's sort of like trying to anticipate that. And then he said, if office if offices folded, how long would radiologists have you know any sort of counterweight against hospital domination? 
So it was really interesting to put in those forms of folding and domination. You could get a real sense, a palpable sense of the um, the, the emotions, but also just the, the future being at stake for radiology and, and the way he characterizes it. I thought it was so interesting. Um, but at any rate. And um, Otho, Otho, I'll just chime in to say, and I'm, I'm sure Don's thinking the same thing. Otho, who was the associate executive director of the, of the ACR for many years, was really a tremendous resource and has honestly been a long historian for the college, having uh, published the works about uh, ACR the first 75 years. So a, a real uh, terrific individual. Yeah, he was indeed. You know, and as, as you say this, and it, it sounds so pedantic and self-certainly to say it, but I can't tell you how impressive the leadership of the American College of Radiology has been. It's foreseeability. You know, it took a lot of guts to say, <laughs> okay, we're not going to oppose Medicare per se. We're not saying it's good, bad, or indifferent. But if it's going to happen, we want to be like every other doctor. And, and from that day forward, almost every time we had a major battle, where people were talking about saving money and what are we going to do? We're going after the big toys of the radiologists. We're going to go after radiologists, make them condition of the hospital again. Every time that happened, the leadership stepped up the bat and said, okay, we need to be a participating party in this process. When we don't like it, but we still be, should be right in the middle of what's going on all the way up to the radiology fee schedule in the late 1980s. I mean, it was just incredible the amount of in-depth foreseeability and, and thoughtfulness that the leadership does is, and I'm, and I'm not saying that with any platitudes of trying to remit, but it was truly a factor that I, I always found to be incredible. Well, yeah, I guess, and, and just to get a, a little more into the nitty gritty of all that, like uh, uh, Don, can you talk a little bit about your and Dr. Uh, uh, JT Rutherford's strategy? Uh, you've talked a little bit about house ways and means, you've talked a little bit about, you know, picking and choosing uh, your battles. But um, could you could you draw that out a little bit more? We, I'm, what we thought was if we offered a willingness to work with the Congress and saying, all right, put radiology under Part B, that the worst part, the worst opposition we had was from the Senate Finance Committee who was saying, look, if we do that, you know, the the cost of healthcare are going to run out of out of sync because the cost of 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 all the radiological procedures are so high. And we're not going to be able to have a control over that. And, and we said, look, we think the leadership would go along with you in the years to come to always be part B providers. And, and they made us sign that in political blood, so to speak, that if that were the case, then fine. And if we didn't go to the revenue sharing, if we didn't still try to build under part A, where some radiologists did, we want to we wanna be sure that, that you act like part B providers. And when it became apparent that particularly pathologists, and I don't have any particular bent against pathology, but they were revenue sharers. I mean, they were getting all their percentage arrangements out of the hospitals. And this was really aggravating the finance committee in the early 70s, because when they took their first, lead at the, first look at the costs of escalation of Medicare, they began to look at the revenue sharing contracts. And they found out that pathologists were circuit riders making a lot of money. And there were a few radiologists in that pool as well. And they came back to us and said, as a matter of strategy, okay, now show us your melt. You said you really believe that the radiologists would be one to be part B providers. Let us see that. And that's when we went back to the college and leadership and said, we have to have some proof to the college, I mean, to the Congress, that the college was sincere about wanting to be part B. And the college, to its credit, 
passed a resolution urging all of radiologists to get out of the revenue sharing process and become independent freestanding clinics. And we brought that back to the Congress and we really got more white hat. Rutherford and I were looking toward the white hat concept. You know, you can sit there and oppose and be against everything and not win a thing. But boy, we went down the blaze of glory by not winning a thing. Or you can sit within the process and understand what's going to happen and try to make the best possible solution for you in terms of what is happening. We really were intelligence folks. We would try to get the feel of what everything was going to happen and try to recommend to the folks how they should act in concert to what those reactions, I mean, what those actions would be, what their reactions should be, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Well, and that, that dovetails really nicely with another question I had, uh, particularly for Dr. Zorworth, but again, I, I, Don, I really love your, your input, but um, Dr. Zorworth, as far as the, uh, Don had mentioned that resolution and really urging um, uh, radiologists to get out of those uh, contracts that they were in, how, how did, the, like, Beyond just passing a resolution, uh, if I know ACR, I know there, there's there's going to be a lot more energetic uh, things happening beyond just that. Are you privy to what what was happening behind the scenes as far as ACR goes at that time, beyond just passing a resolution, or was the resolution enough? Oh, no, I think really, and again, Don made mention of, uh, give, have to give great credit to the ACR leadership at the time. Uh, the chair of the board at that time was Wallace Buchanan, as uh, Don mentioned, and uh, he, he wanted to find radiologists who uh, knew uh, who were from Arkansas and um, could potentially influence uh, uh, Congressman Mill, Representative Mills, because he was, uh, as Don pointed out, chair of the, the Committee of uh, Jurisdiction. Uh, so uh, Dr. Joe Calhoun, uh, who was from Arkansas and actually owned an independent private practice, um, he and several other radiologists from Arkansas, uh, he had had a previous relationship with uh, Congressman Mills and brought some other folks in to say, listen, we're private enterprise. We are private business people in these Arkansas communities. You can't you know, cut us off at the knees by creating a system in which we can't really uh, or potentially can't survive. Um, so when the uh, when the House Resolution 3920, uh, which was the resolution that led to Medicare, came along, um, as I say, they had a real ally. Uh, so uh, it was it was uh, you know working through those things. It wasn't just the resolution by the council, but it was looking and again to J T Rutherford's credit, he educated a lot of radiologists on how the system worked and how you can be successful. So when they uh, were able to influence. Uh, Representative Mills, and I'll maybe a little later talk about how the Senate was swayed when the conference committee uh, was convened in order to uh, make the final decision. Uh, but and uh, also there was also a real grass movements, uh, a grass um, roots movement uh, with. Uh, spurred on by the college to contact not just Congressman Mills, but other congressmen on the committee and uh, also other representatives, their own representatives, uh, to make sure they understood the issues and why this was critically important. So interesting. Yeah, maybe maybe this will be a good time to talk about, uh, you talk about swaying the, 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 uh, the Senate. The, the House uh, seemed a little more amenable uh, to radiology's position at the time, whereas the Senate was not. And we've, we've definitely touched on that multiple times here. Um, maybe Don, you could give us some ins inside baseball on on how that battle played out. And, uh, and again, in my research, a, a senator by the name of Russell Long kept coming up. I don't know if that if, if you see him also as key to this or not, but well, no, love your take on it. Senator Russell Long was the chairman of the committee, obviously very key, and it was his staff people who would come out of 
the insurance industry that felt like the best way to control the costs of independent practitioners who worked in the hospital was to have them under control of the hospital. I mean, he was in Russell Long's ear. But there was another person, I said Clinton Anderson, Senator Anderson, who liked J.T. Rutherford. He respected him. They worked together on many issues when, when Slick was in the Congress on the Interior Committee. And from that point of view, Anderson told this one staff member and Russell, if Rutherford says it will be that way, I trust him. He eventually will get his clients to be able to follow along that way. So if he's saying they should be under Part B and we'll get out of these percentage arrangements, I believe that would be the case. And it was it was really Clinton Anderson who made the difference in terms of the Senate Finance Committee meeting. Yeah, and and Don, uh, even with those, the efforts uh, there, it still came out of the Senate yeah. as radiologists in Part A, and it came right. out of the House radiologists in Part B. So it had to, you know, to resolve not just that, but other other issues that might have been different between the two bills. It went to conference committee, and uh, Senator Russell Long led the Senate contingent uh, on that side. And interestingly, uh, Senator Long's mother was being treated uh, by a radiation oncologist in Mississippi, and he gained great respect for uh, this, you know, the uh, that that physician as a specialist, and it said. And I think that probably may have helped uh, along the way as well. It's, it's amazing how the personal stories really play into some of these decisions. Well, really if, I, if I could follow up on that, in that same, in that same situation, the radiation oncologist was treating his mother, a chiropractor before him had caused her undue anguish. And chiropractors from that day forward until the finance committee changed never could get a foothold with Russell Long because he hated wow. him with a passion because oh, of what wow. they had done to his mother. Yeah, so we were balanced there. So anyway. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You had to walk carefully, tread carefully. Right yeah. <laughs> well, you do it. And I represented another client for years, the optometrist. And, and Russell Long was only interested in one thing when, when the optometrist came to town. They have a... a, a salt box where that's how they bend your frames on your glasses and his glasses would get out of shape all the time so i only got interest in the russell long's office because he wanted to get his salt box taken care of so his glasses would be fixed so interesting it's yeah. so funny we think of these people in these vaunted ways but they really are very human, very human. <laughs> clearly well as it turned out uh you know i guess that the next chapter in that is that, that when radiologists and, and that that whole you know, all, all of that getting out of those contracts that was very influential. It all played a lot. Most of it seems to have played out the way ACR leadership had kind of telegraphed it. So when radio, but as it turned out, at least according to my research, when radiologists were paid for all their services, not only did they end up making more money for their hospital clients, but innovation took off. So there was this golden era of innovation immediately uh, succeeding that time. So Dr. Thorworth, I wonder for a moment if you could just talk about um, you know, positive outcomes of this tumultuous time. And Don, please, please jump in as well. Sure, yeah, uh, Chris. I was, I was going to mention too that when when this all occurred, as I mentioned, like my father's practice, radiologists all over the country were going to have to make this substantial change in how they practiced, and and so I think that it's you, the college really pulled out all the stops to assist them. Uh, they um, they actually uh, held that that year at the end of the RSNA a one day symposium and had over a thousand attendees of radiologists and their business, their new employees, their business managers. Uh, to be able to uh, determine how they were going to, you know, change their practices to accommodate this. Um, the, uh, 
the American Hospital Association, uh, Don mentioned earlier, they were not real crazy about this because they really had lost a bit of control then over these uh, hospital-based uh, physicians. And there was a lot of negotiation that the college did uh, uh, with the American Hospital Association uh, to implement separate billing. In other words, the hospital would send a, uh, what we now call a technical co component bill and the radiologist would send a professional component bill. Uh, so yeah, it really was an amazing time. They, the college also developed a toolkit and believe it or not, produced a movie to educate the members on how to uh, deal with this transition. Um, co coincidentally, at the time, it was really a, sort of a, a remarkable coincidence that the, AC, the next ACR Board of Chancellors chair, Dr. Gerald Miller, he was uh, the chief of radiology at the Baylor University Hospital in Texas. And uh, the CEO of the Baylor Hospital was a fellow named Boone Powell, who just happened to be the president of the American Hospital Association at the time. Well, uh, Mr. Powell was not too crazy about what had happened in the college's efforts to do that. And in fact, uh, um, uh, Dr. Miller was relieved of his position. Fortunately, he stepped into a chair position in another uh, hospital in the city. But it just shows you the, the degree of angst that was going on at the time. Uh, and then finally, the college also had to educate the insurance industry on the implementation and the acceptance of this concept of separate billing. So really a couple other, you know, uh, major efforts on the part of the college. But going back to your question about the innovation, yeah, there's no question that uh, uh, this really did spur innovation. I think uh, there's the radiologists, uh, you know, were looking at uh, you know, not only new modalities, but new ways to provide care, and quite frankly, new uh, new situations. That is, outpatient uh, centers uh, more become more common uh, to provide that care. So there was, uh, it was a, a, time, a time of rapid development of the imaging capability, uh, converting from what I used to refer to in my father's practice of bones and barium to include uh, all the advances in diagnostic radiology, radiation oncology, and what was really a new field of, what, of interventional radiology. All of that, I think, spurred out of the, uh, the, the uh, establishment of this uh, new program. Uh, the fact that radiologists could bill for their professional services really enabled the academic department chairs to promote the research uh, to their deans and uh, to their colleagues. You know, and, and having set that beachhead that we did, and, and Dr. Thorwart's talking about the advancements with the finance committee and this fellow I mentioned, Jay Constantine. And everybody was petrified of Jay Constantine. But us, in any event, when we fulfilled what we said we were going to do, and Dr. Corwood just laid it out for you, that we were going to Part B providers, and radiology took to that, and they noticed that in the finance committee, and Jay Constantine individually noticed that. And then I was to the forefront now, really lobbying with, with Slick. I was now part of JT Rutherford and everything. And we came up upon the next thing that hit us. What about the MRI? What about the CAT scan? What's the CAT scan in particular? Should that be reimbursed? I mean, how much are we going to pay for that? And Constantine came to us again and said, okay, you guys are going to milk the system. No, we're not, because it's a valid tool. How do I know it's a valid tool? Well, we're going to show you. We brought Constantine and all of his staff people down to George Washington Hospital with Dr. Dave Davis, and they saw the efficacy of what the CAT scan could do. And they went away and said, it should be reimbursed. It really should be reimbursed. And from that, all of the other phenomenal tools that were coming out for radiology because of the beachhead that was established on showing the bona fides that radiology was true to what it said and its leadership would back up what it said, we were able to move that next step. 
and and continued to do that all the way up to the the Stark Law and, and also getting the radiology fee schedule. Well, this this next question is for both of you, actually. Um, you know, if the ACR hadn't existed at the time, and if uh, you know Rutherford and, and you, Don, if you all hadn't been so instrumental in helping uh, to lobby on radiology's behalf, um, where do you think the specialty would be today? Uh, if you can look in your crystal ball. Employee of the hospital. I, I have to totally agree with you, Don. I, I don't think there's any question that the professions, and by that I mean diagnostic radiology, radiation psychology, interventional radiology, would not have advanced anywhere near at the pace that we've seen since 1965. Our, uh, our, our destiny would have been at the whim of the hospitals and their administrators, who generally are not a terribly innovative group. Uh, you know, I mean, as, as far as looking for uh, things that uh, might involve uh, might involve some risk. So, it, it also allowed radiologists to become active major funding agencies uh, for active at the major funding agencies for research, such as the NIH, and and then of course finally establishing the National Institute of Biomedical Imaging and Bioengineering. So, no, I, there's no question that there had been an entirely different world for radiologists, and I think. Uh, that also has the spin off this, then it's not as attractive a specialty uh, to folks who are coming out of medical school. So there's no question that uh, this was a huge turning point. I'd like both of you, I'm so interested to know what lessons we can draw from this story um, that the college might apply to issues that it's currently facing in radiology. Well, from, from my legislative point of view, they, they are applying it every day through their current Legislative front in their in their political action committee, Rad Pack, to to actively engage in the process by being a part of the process. I don't think they've ever lost that vision, no matter who was the chair. And and through that process, they actively said, "Okay, we can't win every battle, but we want to be a part of what the process is in winning those battles." And you know, and, and the crowning blow was the radiology fee schedule in 1987, 88, and 89 when when the Congress of the United States wrote into law that radiology would establish its own fee schedule vis-a-vis -vis what the what what Dr. Shaw and everybody was trying to do with the resource relative value system. We're not going to take one nickel out of this procedure in radiology and give it to this primary care physician. No. We're going to allow radiology to determine for itself how much should be removed from the practices of radiology vis-a-vis -vis individual practices. And I think by what radiology did in its baseline in 1965 forward and what they continue to do today. If they keep that focus, they'll have no problem. Yes, they're, they're a target. We're gonna be a target right now. We just saw the House ways, I mean, the new speaker of the house put down the gauntlet that he wasn't gonna solve any problems dealing with the increase in the national debt until he got significant dollars out of Medicare or out of, out of spending. And that comes out of Medicare. And who's one of the primary things we always go after in Medicare? Radiology and surgery. And so they're at risk again. And you know, and, and I think they're well equipped to deal with it if they stay within the process. Yeah, you know, well stated, Don. I, you know, I, they 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 say if you're in medicine, you're in politics. And I think that we uh, and we realize and recognize that in '65, as Don pointed out, we were able to fight off challenges in '72, and then again under President Reagan, who introduced uh, the so-called RAPS legislation of trying to again reverse all of that. 
Um, the, the need for radiologists to be engaged in educating legislators and regulators about who we are and the critical role we play in virtually every uh, significant healthcare episode is critical. You know, very few of them, very few legislators uh, have any medical background, and I mean very, very few have any medical background, and they need our help uh, developing relationships with those individuals and their staff before you have an ask is vital. You want, you want them to see you as a trusted resource uh, when they have to consider legislation or regulation that involves or may impact radiology. So uh, a good example of, of how the ACR had built that credibility is the acceptance by Congress of the ACR-generated uh, experience-based relative value scale that Don just uh, cited. It's in its entirety when the RBRVS was implemented. So, and even to today, we now, of course, have a government relations staff of 12 who are incredibly talented, uh, incredibly well-connected individuals who, you know, when JT Rutherford was sort of, uh, you know, leading with, with Don, um, you know, it's now a very, uh, a very effective uh, machine, but um, it, it all relies on the credibility that has been built up over years uh, by just the processes we've discussed today. It's really well said, and that's probably a good note to end on. And I, it's really been a pleasure speaking with you gentlemen today about this really important uh, chapter in ACR's history. I, I guess if people can find you online, uh, can't I, it can people find you online? And if so, where uh, to continue this interesting conversation? Well, I'm, for me, it's dlevancy at marymount.edu. I'm from the old school. All I have is an email address. I don't have anything else, but happy to answer any question anybody writes me anytime. So dlevancy at marymount.edu. And uh, honestly, Don, I'm right with you. It's wthorworth at acr.org, uh, as I say, is, is the most effective way to reach out and uh, would be happy to answer any questions that this uh, conversation may have generated. Thank you so much. Well, and for our viewers, if you have any ideas for future show topics, even pertaining to the centennial celebration, um, please let us know on Twitter at the at Radiology ACR, and please use the hashtag, uh, hashtag ACR Bulletin Podcast. And I also invite you to check out all of our past episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and please be sure to subscribe to ACR's YouTube channel to see our latest episodes. And please do hit that like button if you found this video valuable. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, thanks so much, and we really appreciate your insights um, and this, in this, again, very, very important and key chapter in ACR's history. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Well done. Thank and thank you to our listeners. This has been the ACR Bullet Podcast. See you next time.